Welcome to Out of Zion with Susan Michael, an exploration of the Bible and the land of Israel. From ancient biblical sites to the story behind the stories, join Susan on a journey through the most exciting book on the planet. Hit the subscribe button for future episodes, which will deepen your faith and bring the Bible to life. And now, here's our host, Susan Michael. Well, hey there. We want to welcome everyone back to our Going Deeper series. This is our fourth episode, or third episode, actually, and we're going to be discussing the Passover that we've read about in um, our biblical readings each week as part of Walk Through the Bible. And today we have a special guest with us who is joining us all the way from Israel. It's Rabbi Shmuel Bowman, and he's going to share with us from a Jewish perspective the significance of the story of Passover and also the observance of the annual holiday of Passover. So uh, Rabbi Bowman was born and raised in Toronto, Canada, and he made Aliyah, which means he immigrated to Israel, became a citizen in 1993. Um, he is an ordained Torah scribe and uh, is passionate about teaching the wisdom of the sacred letters of the Hebrew alphabet, as well as the rabbinic laws. And so this is just the first of uh, probably several interviews that we'll do with Rabbi uh, Bowman. Um, since its founding in 2006, he has been the uh, executive director of Operation Life Shield. And that's how our organization, the International Christian Embassy Jerusalem, has come to know him and to love him as a friend and a partner in our ministry in Israel, that through his ministry, we are able to raise funds and purchase uh, bomb shelters that we have placed uh, mainly throughout southern Israel, which is close to the Gaza Strip. And so together, I think we've, repla- we've placed well over 110 shelters by now. And I'm sure we've got others in the pipeline. And we really value our partnership with Rabbi Bowman. We value his friendship and that he is very much a part of uh, the the development of Jewish-Christian relations. And he helps us and advises us uh, along the way. And is just a tremendous partner. So uh, Rabbi Bowman, I just want to welcome you. And I thank you for giving of your time to speak to our audience today. Thank you, Shalom. It's uh, it's great to be here and great to have this conversation. And please, God, we will have we'll have many more. Yes, yes, yes. So let's jump right in to the Passover. I mean, we've been uh, reading about this for several weeks now in our uh, daily Bible readings as we're reading through the Bible in a year, and it's quite a story. Um, it's quite a uh, spectacular event, but it's a real historic event, a turning point in the whole history of the Jewish people. And that's why we want to hear from you um, the significance of this story in the history of your people, if you would share that with us. Right. So first and foremost, the story of um, being slaves being in bondage in in, in Egypt, um, and then the being redeemed and the exodus, the escape, <laughs> uh, and uh, and then the journey 
in the uh, in the wilderness for 40 years. That is our national story. That's our national story. And that's what I mean by that is, is that is that's really when uh, the Jewish people, uh, which is the um, which is the 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 continuation of the nation of Israel, uh, became a nation, became a people. Uh, prior to that, we were a collection of families and clans with a great mission, with great leadership. Okay, we talk about when we talk about Abraham and Sarah. We talk about Isaac and Rebecca and Jacob and and Leah and Rachel. Those are our moms and dads, right? But just like being in a family, your mom and dad isn't necessarily your president or your prime minister. And I think what happens when we leave Egypt is now we have that kind of leadership. Now we have the leadership of Moses, later on Joshua, and all the things that are involved. And so what's going to happen is, is that everything that happens from the time we escape or leave Egypt, uh, that becomes this um, a painful growing process where we need to figure out how are we going to make this work? Is this experiment <laughs> called the Jewish nation, is it going to fly or is it going to sink? And, and as you know, the, the Bible is replete with almost, right? There are, there are a few close calls when God is ready to like, I've had it with these people. I've had it with them. And uh, so it, I, when I say an experiment, it was, it was like a lot of experiments. It could touch and go. But it's our national, it's our national story. And as such, when a nation, I don't care what nation it is, but when a nation, if a nation wants to preserve itself and to flourish, okay, it repeats and tells its story over and over and over again because part of the the, the DNA or the um, it, it's how we're hardwired. That's our story. And just to give you an example, Susan, every single day, every single day, from the moment you wake up in the morning, the morning that a Jew wakes up in the morning to the moment that a Jewish person goes to sleep at night. Okay, he or she has mentioned through his prayers and blessings, Zecher Yitziat Mitzrayim, which means in remembrance of the exodus of Egypt. And we say this over and over and over again to the point where you, you could say, okay, enough already. We, didn't we hear that yesterday? Didn't we hear it last week? Didn't we say it when we did the benediction over the wine at, Sh at Shabbat on the Sabbath? Didn't we do it during our blessing after the meal? What Every single moment we have to remember the exodus from Egypt? The answer is yes. That's our national story. And if you forget your national story, you forget your identity. So it's part of our, we're hard. That's our, that's our, that's our, that's our essence. Well, you know, uh, we've been aware that in the story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, here God promised this land to Abraham. And as soon as Abraham enters the land, he's faced with famine and he has to go to Egypt for food. And then Isaac has to go to the king of Gerar. And then here's Jacob. His whole family has to go to Egypt because it's like God gave them this land or he's going to give them this land, but it's a very hard land and they're faced with difficulties from day one. And in a way, I see the same parallel, but I'd love to hear from you. How do you see that God allowed this slavery 
to happen in Egypt? And is that a part of the forming of your people as a nation? So the the uh, first answer is uh, I <laughs> I don't know and nobody knows. We don't know we don't know God's ways. We try so hard, Susan. We try so hard, and God and God asks of us to do everything we can, right? To to study and to and to do our very very best to get to know God. But as try as we may, there's right. There's a huge, huge, uh, in Hebrew, we call it a par. There's a huge space between us and what God is. And that's, and that's, that's on purpose. That's on purpose. And we have our role to play. So on the, on, at first blush, I'm going to say, I have no idea. But as we look into it a little bit more, a little bit more, if we try and put on our, 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 you know, thinking hats, we, we, we discover that, that as painful as it was, and by no means, by no means do I mean to make light of, of suffering, okay? But suffering often results, okay, in going to the next level, okay? Um, one example I like to give is, is uh, <laughs> the poor grape. We, go, we grow, you know, we live, in, we live outside of Jerusalem. We live in the Judean hills. And God blessed this area with lots of grapes, right? This is the blessing of Judah. We live in the Judean hills. And so you take a grape, and now you want to turn them into grape juice or wine. And so you got to crush them, and you got to this, and some people step on them. And, this. and the poor grape is saying, Oy vey, you know, <laughs> what are you doing to me? I'm being stepped on and, uh, and crushed and more crushed. Leave me alone. I was perfectly fine as a grape. And you say, you know, it's true, but wait till you see what happens. You're about to become delicious wine. This is what suffering does. Suffering does this. And by no means am I, you know, celebrating suffering. I mean, we need to understand uh, at the heart of slavery in Egypt. And we say those words, those words come out of our, come out of, we say those words so, so um, lightly. They're not lightly. Ask anybody who has ever felt servitude, anybody who's ever felt oppressed, you know, in it's, it's not that long in, in your country where only like a hundred and something years ago, right. Slavery uh, existed, you know, and people still have stories in the African-American community have stories uh, from their ancestors, not too many generations early of what it meant to be a, a piece of property. So it's, it's clearly very painful. Egypt was Auschwitz. Okay. It wasn't only about putting, it wasn't only about uh, uh, slavery. It was about the wholesale murder of the nation of Israel. Okay. And there's some gruesome details. I'm not going to go into them, but our rabbis teach us about how Jewish babies were used as mortar between the bricks, between the stones. And it was just, you know, a, an Egyptian taskmaster could come along and take your child and alive, just crushed in between stones in order to make that filling. And, and you know, we hear similar stories from only 75 years ago in Nazi Germany and the 
areas of Europe that were occupied by the Nazis of the way that children were also just murdered on the spot. If, and so and so we need to understand Egypt as, as Auschwitz. So therefore, it's very, very painful. But out from this pain, and it's hard when you're in there, but out from this pain and suffering comes something really, really important and incredible. And just like the grape being turned into wine, one could say, and I'm not, it's, it's, it's something for discussion, but one could say that from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and their wives, to that point, there needed to be something to get them to become a nation. There needed to be something that would tr transform them, okay, to the next step. And, and God has God's ways. And, and those are things that we can't question. It's a matter of faith. But the result we see was clearly horrible, horrible slavery uh, that, um, that, that crushed us to the point where out of that came uh, the nation of Israel. Wow, that's um, really profound. And I'm very moved by that, that uh, you would liken it to Auschwitz. And of course, we're very familiar with what um, came out of Auschwitz, which is the rebirth of the state of Israel. So there seems to be some kind of uh, necessary um, suffering that brings about a unity of purpose within your people to go that next step, which is a huge step that very few peoples have actually made that kind of transition. Look, I, I'll say it like this. I'll say it like this because <laughs> I am, you know, I'm a father to five children. I have a son-in-law and I have a granddaughter. You have children, you know, this, <laughs> We would what would what, what, what wouldn't we do to ease the suffering of our children? What wouldn't we do, Susan? Mm -hmm. I mean, anything, right? Anything. So there's no question that I, uh, you know, to say, oh, we need to suffer in terms to get to the next level. But when suffering happens, when suffering happens, if all that happens when the suffering ends is that we go back to the way we were, that's, that's a tragedy. I want to be able to, when suffering happens, and again, I'm not saying it, it happens, that's God's will. I want to make sure that I come out of that suffering different. I want to come out different. And so I want to come out of Egypt. If, if, if all I'm going to do after Egypt is just return to a, a loose client, a loose, uh, uh, kind of gathering of families. What was that all about? If all that happens after Auschwitz is that we return to being a diaspora and scattered people without a nation, what did my what did my family, what did my grandfather's family, who were all murdered in Poland, what was that all about? What was that for? And, and so I think about you know, and it's so so it's very interesting because you know, when we talk about, for example, let's give this example. To Jacob, right? And I know you know you've taught about this, and I listen to your I listen to your podcast every week, and uh, and I love it. And you were just uh, talking actually about when you're going through the Bible, you're talking about Jacob wrestling with the angel, and I was reminded, and and and, and you said it very beautifully, and and you, you talked about the idea that Jacob says to the angel after an entire night of fighting, 
and he even gets wounded, a permanent wound to his sciatic nerve, causing him a limp forever. And he, the morning is coming and he turns to the angel. And what does he say to the angel? Bless, bless, me. bless me. Now, now, Susan and dear friends who are watching this, if you have been involved in a brawl, a fight all night long, and you're battered, and you've become disabled, permanently disabled, right? And the person who has been beating you up all night, or you've been in fighting with, says, oh, you know what? I got to go. I, I don't know about you, but I'm going to go get out of here. I'm calling 911. And Jacob comes along and says, I'm not letting you go until you bless me. Why? Because Jacob is saying, after everything we've been through, after a night of turmoil, after a darkness that we've just experienced, that I've just experienced, I am not leaving until I've been blessed, until I leave a better person, until I leave with something, unless I leave enriched by this suffering. And that's what is happening in Egypt. We want to become enriched by that suffering. Okay? When we talk about Yitziat Mitzrayim and what it was like to be slaves. It's not that the Jewish people, we're not, we're not sad, sadists. We're not talking about, oh, let's glorify slavery. No, we're saying out of that suffering came something very, very holy and very special. Mm -hmm. Well, now that we understand the magnitude of the suffering, because honestly, you know, we can kind of throw around the word slavery. Slavery is slavery. But it was much more than slavery. It was a brutal slavery. It, it was, uh, as to describe it as Auschwitz, really gets my attention. And so now we understand, I think, the magnitude of the deliverance. And so the deliverance wasn't just like an overnight deliverance. This took months. And God um, confronted all of the gods of Egypt and Pharaoh himself, who was considered divine, through these plagues. And, um, of course, in the, uh, the deliverance is, is amazing, but how, uh, how do you, how do you as a rabbi teach then on the plagues and on Pharaoh's heart, hardening? And, um, but God, God delivered your people in a magnificent way. So it's a great question. So look, everything that's going on uh, in terms of the redemption process, um, which includes these plagues, and then will later on also include things like, you know, um, um, pillars of fire and and clouds and and then splitting of the Red Sea. But let's go to the plagues for a second. Everything that's happening is what's called is, is, is an open miracle. They're all open miracles, okay? And when you've got open miracles going on, that's the that's the social media of that day. That's the Facebook, that's the Instagram, that's the Twitter of 3,300 years ago. Okay? That's what open miracles are. Because everybody's watching. Egypt is the epicenter. That's the most powerful empire in the world. And you're getting the most powerful, as you said, Pharaoh is godlike. It doesn't get higher than that. And all these things are happening to him and to his people. You better believe it's getting everybody's attention in the world. It is a national social media campaign that God is doing. And basically saying, I want everyone to pay attention. I'm doing something for this people. Pay attention. Something very, very special is going on here. And uh, what's interesting is, is that by using uh, 
natu- natural uh, phenomena. You know, the water turns to blood. And then, okay, that's fine. There's water and there's blood. I get that. But not at the same time that there's an epidemic of frogs. And, the, in, and, and, and it goes on and on. And the lice and the hay. Hey, all these things are all natural in terms of identity. But they're happening, happening in an unnatural way. And that upends people's worldview. I thought I understood what a frog is supposed to do. It's supposed to jump over there in the lily pad. What is it doing in my pillow? Okay. I, I get, you know, in other words, these are some of the things that are going on. So what God is doing is, is, a, is a social media broadcast saying something. I'm taking all, everything that you've understood about nature. I'm upending it because you need to pay attention to who these people are. What's going on with Pharaoh? His heart, his heart keeps getting hardened. Actually, in the Hebrew, there are at least, at least three different ways of describing how uh, how Pharaoh's heart is hardened. Okay, there's three different ways. Uh, it, it, it strengthened is one word. Hardened in terms of like a like a shell. Okay, and 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 other other different ways of describing it. And and I think one idea. And there's many many ideas. And we're only really touching the the our toe is in the 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 very very surface of the surface. But one idea might very well be that uh, actually it was uh, that it was free will. It was free will that God was giving Pharaoh. And what was happening is, is that by hardening his heart, right, he was actually being denied that free will. In other words, his free will should have been, okay, I've had enough, get out of here. And God comes along and hardens his heart and takes away, suspends that free will. Because it seems um, it seems completely strange that you would want to watch the suffering of your people over and over and over again. What is it? Someone once described that the definition of stupidity, right, is to continually repeat the same mistake over and over and over again, right? It's one thing to make a mistake the first time, but when you go back, oh, look, let's try walking into that post, post again. Let's try it again. That becomes a definition of stupidity. So he's not a stupid man. So is it possible that what God is doing, and this is just one possible of many ideas, by hardening his heart, is he's actually removing free will from him in order so that he can send out another tweet. To the whole world. That's just fascinating. I've never thought about it that way, that this was going out to the whole world, that the, the God of the slaves was confronting the almighty Pharaoh, the leader of the world, and in the end brought down Egypt. Uh, they, they paid a price for what they did uh, to your people. They did. You know, it's, they, they paid a price. And it's interesting that, um, that you know, it's not in the Jewish um, psyche to um, celebrate the fall of anybody, even our enemies. And so, and so we actually, you know, people may think this is very strange, but we actually feel a certain compassion and sorrow for the fact that there had to be this suffering. It's, 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 it seems to be, um, it seems to be a conflict, but but it, it, it does exist there, and and it's like we wrestle with that as a moral as a moral value that 
isn't it's 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 too bad that people had to suffer in order for this to happen. And and we don't we do not take joy in the suffering of other people, even when they're our enemies. Well, and well said. Um, but okay, so we've got this amazing moment. God frees your people, um, miracles, Red Sea parting, the whole thing. Uh, and then he tells uh, your leaders through Moses that you should remember this every year with an annual remembrance of a a feast or festival of Passover. So could you describe to us what uh, it means to uh, celebrate this moment or to remember this moment every year and how you uh, how you do that? OK, so there are there are basically two components to the mitzvah, which means commandment or obligation. This is what the, the laws, uh, the law, the, the laws of Moses will be discussing. We'll be assessing that in more detail at, at a, at a upcoming conversation. But the, uh, the, there's two primary mitzvot, two primary commandments when it comes to Passover. The first one is coming from Exodus uh, chapter, Exodus uh, 13, verse 8. And in Hebrew, it's Vihigata Levincha Biyom Ha'ula Amor, Bavur Zeasa Adonai Li Betzetim Mitzrayim. That's the Hebrew, which means, and you shall explain to your child on that day, is because of what the Lord did for me when I went free from Egypt. Okay, so there's a couple of, this one little line is packed, packed with all sorts of stuff. The Higadata is the first word, and you shall tell. The Higadata, if you hear it, it sounds like the word Haggadah. And a Haggadah is the book. This is one copy. This is a beautiful leather-bound Haggadah. We actually call it a Haggadah. And inside there's, in Hebrew, but you can get it also Hebrew and English and actually in every single language in the world. Inside is the... Um, is the agenda <laughs> or the uh, table of contents, if you will, for telling that story. And we use this Haggadah, right, to walk us through this mitzvah of telling your child on that date. What day? Passover. In other words, the, the festival of Passover. Okay. And then what's the, the second part? And then what's the next second part? Is because of what the Lord did for me when I went free from Egypt. Now, think about this. It's in Hebrew, it says, Ze asa Hashem li, what God did for me when I went up from Egypt. It doesn't say, it doesn't say what, the, what God did for the nation of Israel when they went free from Egypt, which means that, and, and God's not writing a Torah for a very, a Bible for a very specific period in time. It's for all time and it's for everybody. And so when it says Asali, it means that I personally left Egypt. Shmuel Bowman left Egypt. Susan Michaels left Egypt. We left Egypt. Okay. That's very, very important. So when we tell our children and your children are going to look at you and you go, uh, I thought you were born in Toronto. <laughs> yeah, but my DNA, my, 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 my essence was part of that experience. And, and therefore, it's a personal story. It's not a historical tale. It is a historical tale, but it's my history. It's, what, it's my family story. 
and it happened to me. So that line is very important. We do that every uh, every year. Uh, the second mitzvah is <clears throat> is is eating matzah, which is unleavened bread, and that's very interesting because we are commanded to eat. Okay, that's very interesting. And we're supposed to eat this specific kind of bread. And all sorts of questions start coming up. Why are we eating this bread? And, and why do we have to eat it in, in, with a certain period of time? And so on and so forth. And we begin to discuss why this bread, which then becomes an educational moment, an educational opportunity to teach our children and ourselves about what Passover is all about. Well, we were in a hurry, and you know, when you're when when you're a slave and you're being and you're escaping or you're being told get out of here, you're not you're not waiting for the late flight. Okay, you're not you're not you're not you're not you're not, you're not booking something with Expedia in a year from now. Okay, you are you are going now. You're grabbing whatever you have and you're going. Okay, now my wife Leah and my daughters bake challah before Shabbat. Okay, that's the twisted, beautiful, delicious bread. I invite you and everybody to come to our house for Shabbat and to have this, the aroma in our house is amazing. But I got to tell you, in order for that bread to rise before you can actually stick it in the oven, you got to wait a while. Not only do you got to wait a while, but I really truly believe that it's, how my daughters, daughters and wife do their physical fitness because they're punching this dough. It's right. They're doing all, they're twisting. It takes time. If you're rushing, you don't have time for any of that stuff. So you're saying, I have to eat something and I don't have any time for it to rise. What am I going to, I need travel food right away. That's matzah. Okay. So we eat it. And again, by eating it, we experience and it's a really great, I encourage people to try this. Eat that matzah and focus. What does it mean to be in a hurry? What does it mean to eat something in a rush? What does it mean to, you got to get out of there because if you stay in, in Egypt one more second, right? Mm -hmm. You're you're not going to, you're never coming out. So those are the two main things. Accompanying all that, Susan, is the, is a feast. We're talking about a wonderful meal. We're talking, as I mentioned, about the Passover Seder. The Passover Seder is going to be following the the Haggadah, the uh, the the uh, the storyline. So there's going to be a whole series of rituals and questions and discussions and foods and things like that, all for the purpose of evoking questions and discussions. It is a night of conversation. It's about telling our story. Well, I have to say, I love Passover and I love being invited to someone's home for a Passover Seder. And um, it, we really uh, enjoy it. We, we relive it as though we were with the Jewish people as they were delivered and uh, partaking of the bitter herbs and the salty water. And it's, it's a very educational uh, time, uh, great for children of all ages <laughs> meaning including us absolutely and those and those foods that you're describing they are they're all triggers they're all educational triggers 
they're, 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 you know, when you take the bitter herbs and you, and you dip it and you eat it and so the, the tears literally stream out of your eyes because it's so, it's so hot and spicy or, or, or eating of the, the egg or having, having the carpus, which is the spring vegetable, dipping it. And you begin to realize this is not a, this, you know, why is this night different than all other nights? Which is one of the questions that we ask. Or, you know, why am I different on this night? Is perhaps the even deeper question. And, and we begin to use these moments for triggers. We, we uncover the matzah, we recover it, and then we know this, and then the wine, and then we have four glasses of wine. What does four mean? There's a whole th- bunch of themes that have to do with four. All these things are, you, 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 you spend the night going, why? 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 And the entire night is why. And the parents or the grandparents have the obligation of saying, let me tell you our story. And it's an incredible, it's an incredible, I keep going back to this. It's a, it's a pedagogic uh, philosophy. It's an educational opportunity to have this discussion to complete. And we use all these trigger points, these triggers to evoke those, those conversations, the songs. And then what happens is, is that depending on which culture you came from, right? So my family, right, comes from Ashkenaz, Poland-Russia area. So we have certain traditions, whereas my son-in-law, he's coming from Tunisia. His his grandparents come from Tunisia and Iran. Very, very different. So just to give you one example, the the Haggadah says, dip a karpas, which is a spring vegetable, a springtime vegetable in the salt water. Well, my family's from Eastern Poland, Russia, and spring, there's still about a foot of snow. And the only thing that's growing is last year's potato. That's our spring vegetable. My son's family comes from lush green Tunisia in Iran. They're using parsley and celery. And what we do, it's wonderful. So Jews come together in this ingathering of, of the exiles. We come to Israel, Jews from Yemen and Ethiopia and, and Europe and Iran, and they're coming with their own, with their, with their interpretations of their traditions. And then we come together in this amazing, in this amazing place. And we start to learn each other's recipes and traditions. And, and it's, it's fabulous. It's fabulous. Yeah. It's so beautiful. You make all of us want to um, be part of a Passover Seder uh, just this week. And uh, hopefully some of our listeners will. But let's, I'm afraid we have come to the end of our time. And I wondered if you wanted to share maybe a universal message from the Passover story that it's not just for the Jewish people. Right. So uh, just, I'm just going to say one quick thing as it connects to that. One thing is, is that the challenge, even as we go through the Haggadah, is that we're we're operating in a not in a normative situation. Two thousand years ago, if you were celebrating Passover, so there would be a temple in Jerusalem, and we'd be offering sacrifices, and there would be different different types of foods being eaten. We are still telling the story because it's commanded in the Bible but we would be going through the process differently. And what a lot of things that we're doing today are reminders of how things were 2000 years ago up to the destruction of the second temple. 
and a reminder, almost like a um, like a place a placeholder about how we then will return to those customs when the third and final temple, please God, is rebuilt speedily in our days. The universal message is as follows. People are not meant to be slaves. People are meant to be free. God wants us to be free. And, and unfortunately, there's been a lot of suffering in the world. And time and time again, different cultures have turned to the Jewish message of Passover as a, as a, as a hope. So, for example, we again go back to the slaves, the African-American slaves who told their stories using imagery of, you know, when Israel was, you know, the song, when Israel was in Pharaoh's land, let my people go, go down Moses way down in Egypt's land, tell oh Pharaoh to let my people go. That's a African-American song not a Jewish song. And they're using that imagery to say, we can also be free. And so when the Dalai Lama, after the Tibetan people were persecuted by the Chinese and kicked and literally Tibet was taken over and, be, and, and was taken over by the communists. So the Tibetan people who fled Tibet and became a diaspora of their own wanted to know what to do. And the Dalai Lama turned to rabbis and said, Help, what, do, what should we do? And rabbis helped the Dalai Lama create a Tibetan Passover Seder, not a Jewish Seder, but a Tibetan Seder that would help them tell their story from generation to generation and keep their nation going. And Susan, we have many, many more examples uh, because God's message is really a universal message, isn't it? And we can also relate, whether it's on a personal level or a national level. Uh, we can relate to difficult times and looking to God for deliverance from them. And uh, so your story has been an inspiration to many, 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 many people for many, 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 many years. So I just want to thank you so much for sharing your heart with our listeners today. Uh, I know that's been a great blessing. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's very exciting for me to hear. And I know that uh, many in our audience uh, are excited to hear from you what Passover means to the Jewish people and the, the lessons that we can all take from it. So thank you so much, Rabbi Bowman. We look forward to having you back on in a few weeks where we're going to go the next level in our conversation. And until then, I want to thank everyone for joining us. And uh, please uh, uh, check out in the show notes for today's program uh, links to more information on Rabbi Bowman, Operation Life Shield, and the ICEJ and what we do together in Israel. And we will see you back here next time. And until then, God bless. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of Out of Zion with Susan Michael. Be sure to subscribe to Out of Zion now on Apple Podcasts, cpnshows.com, YouTube, or wherever you like to listen and learn. Out of Zion with Susan Michael is a production of ICEJ USA, all rights reserved.